Welcome to God, Yay or Nay. I'm your host, Noor Kidwai. I'm here to find out how we grow, transform, and become our best selves. How we create meaning in our lives. Come join me on my journey. Welcome to another episode of God, Yay or Nay. I'm your host, Noor Kidwai. Thanks for tuning in. My guest this week is Aaron Foster. Aaron is a comedian. He's based out of Chicago. He actually goes a little in-depth into the history of Chicago and uh, how it became so segregated. It was really interesting to listen to. This podcast is a part of Comedy Here Often Podcast Network on 604 Records. I just uh, got on there about a few weeks ago, and I'm really excited. And uh, thanks to all the new listeners that I picked up in the last few weeks. It was really cool to see. Uh, Please like and subscribe to the podcast. Give it a good rating. That always helps. But let's get into this week's episode, everybody. My guest this week, Aaron Foster. Welcome to another episode of God, Yay, or Nay. I'm here with my man, Aaron Foster. Aaron, thanks for joining me, my man. Oh man, I'm excited, man. I love seeing, you know, your posts about your web uh your your podcast and and all the other Canadian things you keep me abreast on. So I appreciate it. <laughs> I'm your I'm your link to Canada, I guess, eh? That's right. You you and that Bill dude, which you know, that's that one don't go too well. He's always depressed. But <laughs> <laughs> Bill G G. Yeah. Oh, Bill G. Yes, all right. Yeah, that's my buddy. Man. You forgot about him, huh? <laughs> I haven't seen him in years, actually. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Good dude, man. He's still out there. He's still in uh in Edmonton doing what he does. Uh him and a couple other people. I still uh mess with that Kevin Singh dude. You seen him? Uh you remember him? Oh no. I he might have been he might have came out around after you were already, you know, out of there and doing your thing. So mm. Yeah. He's just, you know, he's a local dude up there in Edmonton. Good guy. Um, you know, I'm um, uh, good guy. So I keep in contact with him. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, that large yeah. dude. Well, yeah. like, hey, buddy, like, uh, so maybe actually give my audience a little background of you. You're a comedian out of Chicago. Anything else you want to add to that? Uh, yeah, I mean, that's where I'm from. I mean, I travel the country, been to 42 state, uh, 44 states in the United States performing all around uh, U.S. And I've been to four, uh, four countries, Germany. Well, I've been through a few cities in Germany and Holland and Canada. And uh, I've been to Mexico before, but that wasn't no fun. <laughs> <laughs> you, you don't want to talk about that one. <laughs> no, it wasn't, you know, it wasn't a comedy thing. It was a, oh, a failed marriage. <laughs> That's what that was. So, um, yeah, my, my center, um, my basic uh, thing is in Chicago, in the Chicago area and in the United States, I've opened up a company called C Stand Up, which is an agency that books comics and puts them on shows around. Um, and I also have uh, basically a comedy club in the in the state of Illinois in Elgin. It's a it's a it's a a, a soul food restaurant that we turn into a comedy club once a week. Oh, and nice. so yeah, so it's pretty cool. Keeps me working, keeps me having a good time. Um, I'm also involved sometimes in the radio up here, uh, one of the radio stations. So that's that's where I've been, man. That's where I've been. And of course, I take my time to come up to Canada when I get them bookings 
you know. And so yeah. the bigger you get, I'm gonna try. We are gonna have to exchange some gigs, man. I get you down here to America. You still got your passport? You ain't do no criminal activity. <laughs> <did you? laughs> well, hey, weed's legalized now, so I'm not. Uh, I don't think they're gonna be catching me on that shit. Okay, good, good. Yeah, it is, man. It's legal in my state. It's not legal everywhere in America now. No, but it's legal in my state. Oh, it's legal good. up there now, right? Yeah, it's no, all we're, uh, we're all good here now. Uh, yo, so like actually the one thing I do remember about you and like I have this is one of my uh, big memories in, um, in my life almost because we went on a four or five day um, comedy trip uh, when, I, yeah. when I first met you. So we did a big road gig and I remember the last day of that road gig, we were in a place called Grand Prairie just outside of it. And uh, yeah. we like that day, I remember I was telling you, I'm like, hey, dude, uh, Canada is playing in the gold medal game against America the next day. I'm yeah. like, we have to drive home. <laughs> I have to see this. So I remember like right after the the show, like or the next day, I'm like, I woke you up early. I'm like, let's go. Let's go. And we drive <laughs> out. We go to West Edmonton Mall. Um, I'm looking for like the oh, yeah. place, only place we could find a, a place to sit down and watch. <laughs> And it was Hooters. So, like, yeah. go and sit down at Hooters. <laughs> and, like, the whole place is just packed with people watching Canadian fans. And, like, Canada ended up winning in the overtime. Uh, do you remember that stuff? Yeah, hell yeah, yeah. I very much so remember that. Because, you know, in America, black folks, we don't mess with hockey that much. So that was a big thing. I was like, yeah, I was there. I was there. I remember it vividly, man. It was no, a great day. No, I actually remember you because, like, uh, America tied up the game, like, a minute before uh, the game was over, and we went into overtime, and, like, the whole place just went, like, completely silent. And I remember you as an American. You were like, God, oh, dude, give Canada the win. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I had to get out of there before I got killed by these crazy Canadians. Y'all serious about this hockey, boy? <laughs> I didn't have a clue. I'm like, is this, this is a real sport? You know, and that's how we are in Chicago about hockey, except for the people that like the Blackhawks, you know. But black folks, man, we don't really. If you ever watch the Blackhawks, you'll see three black dudes in the whole stadium. And that's by accident. They just won those tickets most of the time. You know what I'm saying? We don't, we don't really, really uh, watch hockey that much, man. You know, you'll yeah. get a few stragglers, but mostly we just like us uh, basketball, football, baseball. You know, not even soccer. We don't yeah, really miss just soccer. Uh, any sport except hockey. Like uh, ping, ping pong. <laughs> we like ping pong. <laughs> hey, I do like that one that y'all play, uh, icing. You know where you put not icing, but curling. where you uh, curling. Yeah, well, that was interesting. You know what I'm saying? That was that's always the one fascinating. You're Give me a break. <laughs> <laughs> it's fascinating to me, man. You know what I mean? Because, you know, I mean, shit. How do you, you got to be really bored and cold to create that game. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah, that's <laughs> like, I'm tired of being in the house. I'm going to go outside and push this brick around on the ice. <laughs> You get the brick closest to whatever the hell that is at the end of the damn road. <laughs> hey, man. So, that's so uh, yeah, yeah. Tell my audience a little bit about, uh, like, you coming into comedy in Chicago. Just because Chicago and, like, 
um, where you started, because I know you used to tell me about like uh, where you kind of came up as a comedian and like how different the culture was compared to like where I came up in Edmonton. So why don't you give my yeah. audience a little bit of a, like a, how you came up in comedy? Okay, so again, my name is Aaron Foster, man. I started comedy in Chicago in one of the most famous clubs that is uh, in Chicago for uh, primarily for black folks because Chicago is a very segregated place. Uh, where you have each group of racial people in their own neighborhoods. So when I was uh, graduating from college, the year before I graduated, my best friend had a job as the DJ in this club called All Jokes Aside. If you Google All Jokes Aside, you'll see a bunch of really famous uh, people that have been there, and you'll see a, a couple of books, a couple of movies. It's a famous place because you've had all the big, comedians come through there, including um, Carlos Mencia, who was stealing jokes at the time. But, you know, back back then, when you steal and you're as good as he was, man, he was crushing the crowds. You know what I mean? That dude was selling out like he'll do a, a Wednesday through Sunday, sold out all the all of the seats. You know what I mean? And 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 because it was so such a segregated city, he was actually bringing Spanish folks into the black folks uh, area. But then you got uh, the other comedians that used to come through that you guys, I, I hope you know who they are, is like uh, D.L. Hughley is a bit was uh, always there. Steve Harvey. If any of these names you guys don't know, because you know how they segregate the television between countries. You should know. Yeah, at least you should at least know those names. Um Let's see, quite quite a few other ones, man. If you know, like Tommy Davison would be there. Um, it's really it was really the place to be for comedians. So any com comedian that was black uh, and uh, would 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 wish to have a booking there. Guys like um, let's see, Mike Epps. When when I was a DJ, Mike Epps was bare was a feature. And he used to come and hang around. You know, I like when you come, when we come to a comedy club, the comics hang around and, you know, the big name comics are really not there because they're working or doing whatever. But the, the comics that sometimes headline, but mostly feature, that's where Mike Epps was. And uh, Cedric the Entertainer had just graduated up to headliner, you know. So I fell in love with comedy. It became uh, one of those things that... Um, it's almost like an abusive relationship. You know what I'm saying? I'm saying you fall in love with it, you spend a lot of time with it, but it gives you nothing back. You know what I mean? Until you get good. And when you get good, you start traveling, you start doing more, your life expands. And, and that's where, uh, that's where my life started to expand. And that's where I got a name big enough for comedy clubs to pick me up or, uh, rooms across the country. I really had a lot of success with some of the agencies in in America. Like my favorite agency was this one called Heffron Talent Agency out of uh, North Carolina. They book they create these things called the Comedy Zone, and the Comedy Zone is uh, like a package that a bar can do. They'll purchase like I think it costs like maybe a grand of American dollars, six hundred to a grand, and they send you like the background and they send you the opening video, and then they'll send you a comedian every month or every week, however you uh, book it. 
and I became one of their uh, traveling comedians. Started out as a feature and ended up, of course, as a headliner. But I got to travel throughout the country. And then uh, uh, once one agency picks you up, then the other agencies are a little bit more open to, to picking you up. And so I started uh, started doing a lot of them. I did this one, what is it called? A triple run was one of my favorite ones. Now, a lot of people disrespect this triple run because it's kind of like uh, all the grittier open bars. You know what I mean? There'd be places where you just would not really walk into on your own. You know what <laughs> <laughs> You're like, this is a bar or it'd be like a whole bunch of bikers around and shit. You know what I mean? Um and that's just, but you go in there, you have a good time. The people send you free shots and beer. They pay you on time and you live the life of a, of a road comic, man. So that's, that's where, uh, that's the, like the background. And that's how I got farther into comedy. And then, you know, I started to get discovered to where cats like, you know, would, would book me uh, on tours. So that's how I got to Germany and uh, Holland and then how I got to Canada. Yeah, no. yeah, yeah. Oh, that's pretty cool. Uh, so why, like you were saying, like Chicago's like pretty segregated. Like, uh, you want to kind of like go in a little more in depth than that. Like, what what's the kind of dynamics there? Well, the the America's really a uh, there's some. Well, no, as you could as you have seen over the last four years, America back then had like a hidden racism. It wasn't as overt as like in the 30s and 20s where, you know, it was legal to lynch and kill. But that lifestyle, that mindset trickled into the way housing is set up. And so in Amer in Chicago, um, the political parties and the political entities set the set the city up to where different racial groups did not mix. So you have a Chinatown, you have a little Korea, black folks, you know, have the South and West side because the numbers are big. And then primarily the North side and uh, some parts of the South side were white folks, you know, because uh, the numbers were big for there. And it's just filtered all the way up till today. I mean, uh, most of Chicago is still very segregated, although it's getting, a, it's getting, it goes up and down because it's a lot, a lot of it is connected to economics. And in in Chicago, what the what'll happen is is an area will become popular, and then all of a sudden um, the the taxes will go up, the property value will go up, and it's and um, in America also um, jobs are delved out and loans to um, businesses are also. Um, have been in the past also segregated based on race. So it's a whole it's a whole historic uh, background. If you, it's interesting, like if you watch some of these shows about Al Capone, you'll be at, you'll watch you'll get some history about um, uh, Chicago's uh, racial uh, doings. You know what I mean? Like, uh, of course, <clears throat> back when Al Capone and the other Italian based um mafia dudes were coming to america and coming to chicago or new york because it's similar in that way to new york because really it's an american problem um they would stay in the italian parts of those cities 
Now, because Al Capone <clears throat> was dealing in alcohol, which everybody loves, you know, just generally, you know, <laughs> we all love to drink, he became bigger than his area. But if you look at his area and then you talk about, think about some of the mafia's ways they get money, the black community was in charge of this thing called policy. Policy was like the lottery. Y'all got the lottery up there just like we have the lottery in, in America. Well, black folks invented the, and perfected the lottery, but other racial groups, <clears throat> yeah, yeah, yeah. Back in the early 30s, 40s, 50s, well, probably up until the mid 40s or 50s-ish, black folks had this thing called policy where you could pay a dime or a nickel, put down three numbers or pick your three numbers. And if your numbers came in, you would win maybe 10 bucks, 20 bucks, 30 bucks. And back then that was a lot of money. It was like, now we win millions. Uh, and, and back then they would win thousands, right? So the mob took over the mob through a couple of little twists and, you know, they, they, they were willing to kill for things, <clears throat> stole it. And, uh, but what it tell what it shows you is that the neighborhoods were segregated because policy was only in the black community so that even people who were not black, they might've been Chinese, white or whatever that wanted to play it had to come into the black community. Yeah, if you watch these movies that are about Al Capone or anything that has to do with Chicago, and you start to, if you think about it, you'll it'll tell you a lot about the racial backgrounds and the racial makeup of the city itself. Um, and it's subtle. You have to know to look for it, but it's real. Mm -hmm. So like now with that segregation, like, does it actually like even go in the com comedy community as well? Like, do people like kind of interact with the different communities in comedy? Well, believe it or not, man, when I first started, the comedy scene was very segregated. Uh, but I grew up because my mother was such a, a, a awesome ass lady. She got a really good job and she moved me to a neighborhood that was, that was not a, um, all black neighborhood. It was a very, it was a very mixed neighborhood on the north side. So I was never afraid because really all of this is, is fear. People who don't know something about other people fear it. So they stay segregated in their happiness. My mother put me in a situation where I was, where I mixed with all types of kids. So when I became a comedian, I didn't have that fear. And I was one of five black comedians that would spend time on the white circuit. That's what we called it, the black circuit and the white circuit. In Chicago, there were basically four to five circuits. There was an Asian circuit that really nobody knew much about because it was in Chinatown and it was, you had to know the language and it was very small because from what I hear them, them Chinese folks don't like to play around that much with that, right? Mm -hmm. They don't like embarrassment and stuff so it didn't thrive. Then there was a Spanish a scene, there was a black scene, and then there was a white scene, and then sometimes there became an Indian or, you know, South, uh, you know, uh, Indian scene, whereas folks that are, were Indians, like from India or Pakistan, you know, so they would have their little Pakistani shows and stuff like that, so it was very segregated like that. 
and and because I was able to go into the other scenes, um, I think me and a couple other dudes made it comfortable for other guys to follow us. And now the scenes are pretty, they're still very segregated if you uh, think about it compared to y'all scene. But for Chicago, it's a, it's a lot, um, it's, 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 um, it's, it's not as segregated as when I started. <clears throat> for example, let's say this, for example, and this is one of my favorite examples. It's different now, but when I first started, Bernie Mac, who I knew, who I was cool with, I wasn't good friends with him. I think I got a chance to go near, go to his house one time, um, but Bernie Mac had never been able to perform in our most famous club, which was Zany's at the time, because of segregation. Zany's would only allow one black person, basically one per month almost in there, one or two per month, because they, the people that were booking it uh, just went with their, with their mindset and they weren't open enough to believe that if they put a black face on the marquee, that the seats would sell, which actually was a, a loss of theirs because Bernie Mac, this dude named George Wilborn, uh, Damon Williams, these dudes had big followings that would go anywhere because the people knew they would have a good time. And if if they if Zanies had um, discovered that earlier, the the Chicago scene would be a much would be much further along. But they did not they did not know that. And then I mean you know people like myself, I would argue with the uh, with the Booker here and there because I got accepted into Zanies uh, <clears throat> because I was able to do comedy that was palatable for all people mm. but i would try to kick the door open for other people and eventually that kind of uh bit me in the ass with them because i became a troublemaker <laughs> you know yeah that's how, but that's you know that's the sacrifice you got to make when you're coming from a place like america with such a, a cemented racial um racial um history let's just say that's the right word history yeah well like hey man so like you said you traveled to 44 states like how do you yeah. see like uh the divide and like when you travel around is it like as is it like as uh divided as like you would say chicago is or like and like do you see those racial issues like how how, how bad do you think they are when you travel around well, I think that there are uh, most of the major cities still have that problem. Like Detroit has a segregated uh, situation when it comes to comedy. Um, also, New York still does. I think L.A. does not because L.A. is based on. Well, it does have it, but I think that because L.A. has the big comedy um, club um, franchises more people interact. You still there? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So more people interact. Like we have now a couple of the franchises and because the franchises uh have a people believe comics believe that if they get in the franchises they'll start to become very popular or they'll get seen by industry, which is somewhat true. Um where ours is a lot more racially 
mixed now. But even when I first started with the, like, here's the thing, the Laugh Factory, have you ever heard of the Laugh Factory in America? Yep. Okay. So the Laugh Factory came to Chicago. Chicago, of course, is like a fishbowl and you have to know how to swim within that fishbowl or you will, you know, lose all of your fish, right? Or fish would eat each other, whatever. So when they first came to Chicago, they didn't know how to market to the people and get to the people and get the people into the room, into the show. And they had the wrong business model. They would pay um, LA comics that were considered probably C or B comics, not A comics like um, Steve Martin. You know, they wouldn't they wouldn't have a big Steve Martin there because it was only 350 seats and that dude can do a, a 5,000 or more seater. Yeah. But they had certain comics and they would pay those comics premium dollars. So Jamie Kennedy, do you know who Jamie Kennedy is? Yeah. Okay, Jamie yeah. Kennedy, Jamie Kennedy at the time was probably a B B level comedian i know he would say i'm an a minus but b level comedian they would pay him like probably nine grand to come do the show for that weekend and he would have like jamie kennedy would might maybe have 50 to 70 people oh, so of course yeah so that would not cover you know that would not cover and it was primarily because they didn't know how to market chicago yeah. so here comes aaron foster I'm, i've been creating rooms for a lot of a lot of different years before they came and I had a small following plus I had a fraternal following. So what I did was I came in, I got into their, uh, you know, I became one of the comedians that they booked. And then as I got on shows, I marketed those shows. So the audience became bigger every time I touched the stage. All right. Mm -hmm. So finally I told, I told this girl, her name was Maggie good friend, beautiful girl, uh, but she knew how to run them. She knew how to run a comedy club and the owner, Jamie, brought her into Chicago because I guess she worked with him in LA to, to get Chicago going. She and I sat down and I said, I, I can get the people in here because I know how to market, especially with your, uh, with your help. So she was like, just tell me what you need and we'll do it. So I did one show sold out. Then I then they were doing this show called the Naughty Show, and it was Saturday, ten o'clock, but they couldn't get people in it. And I was like, "Look, I can get this one going real well, but you got to let me host it every week." So I started hosting it, and I started building the crowd. And I was like, "This name sucks. Let's call it the Nasty Show." Because we can be nasty, not naughty is weird. You know what I mean? Naughty is touching kids. Nasty <laughs> is, <laughs> you know what I'm mean? saying? Naughty yeah. is you touched a little kid's penis. Nasty is you fucked a big titty, you know, hermaphrodite in the ass. You know what I'm saying? It was fucking really nasty. So I would also get to book the show. I would put comedians and then I would have like a porn star or I would have something crazy in there. Like I had this porn star named Seika come in there and uh, she just did a book reading and shit in the middle, but she was a porn star. So the crowd was fucking thick, you know yeah. what I'm saying? And she was, a, she was a famous porn star from the seventies. So it was, it was packed. Um, 
I forgot the, what the fuck we were talking about this for. Oh, the, the scene in Chicago. And so because of that type of, of an environment, now you got more, um, more people from both sides of the town that want to be at that place. Yeah, yeah, because there's yeah, it seems like just like a fun, uh, like yeah, it's something like completely crazy and fun, but like people like from both sides would come in and like start uh, intermingling. Yeah, man, that's honestly that kind of like uh, culture, I guess you would say, of that kind of segregation and everyone being apart. Uh, it's just completely foreign to like us as Canadians. Like, yeah, maybe, like the one good thing I think uh, in Canada that we've done is like most of our immigrant cultures have come in and like integrated quite well and uh right. yeah it's like that's one thing that i've noticed here that's been kind of good and like even especially moving to toronto there's definitely like pockets of like different communities but like you don't see it in like our art that much like where it's like too segregated as well but that, hey man that's good for you though man fucking actually like putting together shows that bring in like people from all communities eh? yeah man i'm also i'm i'm always looking to do that wherever man so if you got some comedy clubs up there that want to get some business tell them to go to my website yeah. see stand up yeah, dude. Right. <laughs> I don't know and, and, if uh, I can be on a nasty show. None of my jokes are that nasty. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it doesn't have to be the nasty show. I got all types of shows, man, all the way down to Christian shows, um, you know, lesbian shows. I got everything, man. I just uh, You just got to tell me what you need. That's yeah, all. That's sick. That's yeah. so... Uh, Tell me how you've been holding up on this second, like, lockdown. Like, uh, how's it been, like, for your, like, mental health and everything? Uh, you've been doing all right? Uh, well, you know what? It, I've been struggling because, well, I have a situation with my girlfriend. The first one, me and my girlfriend were together in the same house, and her house was uh, was the place we stayed, and it was her house is pretty luxurious. You know, it, it, she's got a really nice house because she owns a magazine, and uh, well, she owns a, ser a couple of magazines. One of them is a medical magazine, so it's doing really well right now. It's called Case Man uh, Social Work and Case Management Magazine. It's out of Chicago and Arizona and Texas. Um, and what it is is it now that people now that the social workers and and the case managers can't go into the hospitals, the magazine is starting to be what these uh, agencies look for to supplement that. So she has, you know, she's, her income is solid. Mine, I live on the South side in a house and uh, my, that's where I'm at right now. And I don't have a pool, you know what I'm saying? She has a fucking pool. Her building has a basketball court, you know, shit like that. Now her daughter came back from college and from wherever the hell she was at. Me and her daughter are not, we don't get along too well, so I don't want to be over there as much. And she don't want me over there because it becomes problematic. So I'm a little stir crazy in my own home. You know, it's a little bit less. It's tough, though, man. Uh, luckily, um, since we've been on lockdown since early April, I have not been diagnosed, man. And I, I know you just said that, you know, whatever. You know, I don't want to be the one to bust that out. You got to do that yourself. But um, it's I've seen people die from this shit, man. This is real, bro. A lot of the times we 
we think, okay, our government is really spinning us and trying to, you know, through the media control what we do and all that. But, and this could be, you know, the conspiracy theorists say this is a, this is a big old turn the world in the new world order tactic, but people are actually dying from COVID. So, you know, I'm staying away from everybody. Oh, good for you, man. Uh, yeah, man. Like, uh, it's, it's like, yeah, I can see it. And, like, you're just getting kind of stir-crazy right now. It's just, like, being by yourself, eh? Yeah, yes. Uh, I've been, let's see, it's over the last three weeks, primarily, I've been at my house by myself. Uh, you know, I just cook, watch TV, uh, do my thing. Now, economically, I have, I also have a magazine called Evanston Magazine, which is a city close to Chicago. So it's ad-based, and it's been keeping me sustained for a little while, but primarily now with this second um, lockdown, even businesses are reluctant to advertise, right? Yeah, yeah. So the money is drying up, and you know, luckily we got some some services in America that might help you out. You know, like I got unemployment insurance and shit like that. So, yeah, man, I like I wish you the best in that sense. Uh, I hope you guys get a stimulus out there. Like, uh, it just seems like uh, the it's like so divided out there. You never know what's gonna happen, eh? Yeah, that Trump dude is man. He's a fuck fucking maniac, man. I don't know why he. He was like, I'm not going to give you a stimulus until you um, vote me back into office. What kind of president is that? You know what I'm saying? And then he lost. So now we like, well, damn, are we going to get a stimulus or not? And he's probably like, nope, you got to wait till this new guy come in. You know, what kind of what kind of leadership is that, man? You know, so I know you've been seeing it. I'm pretty sure they don't let y'all country see as much as we do. But good God. You know, have you have you seen the culture change quite a bit in the last four years? Oh, my God. The racists just got bold. Like, remember, I said that it was kind of covert before, you know, like you would just go apply for a job that, you know, you were qualified for and you wouldn't get it. You know, I mean, that's the racism of 1999 to 2005. As soon as Obama started to pop up, then the racists got angry and jealous because they felt like if he could become president, then they have to start competing on an even uh, lev level mm. because before they, they did not compete on an even level. The way that America stays segregated is that the economics are dealt out unfairly. Like if I want to open up, a, well, I'm presently trying to get a loan for my, my business, uh, C Stand Up, so that I could do some, some positive things with it, right? Well, in the 80s, I would have never even gotten past the first part of the uh, application. In the 90s, I'd get past the first part of the application, but then they would ask me for so many documents that it would be unlikely that I would even have them. You know what I mean? 2000s, it got a little better. Now with COVID, I might be able to obtain some funding, uh, and that's how America's going. So when Obama came in, these guys, these racists started to get mad and they started to get bold. And that's what Trump grabbed a hold of. He just 
he just marketed himself to the racists, you know, the Ku Klux Klan and this little group called the Proud Boys. You know, those guys are like these muscle heads that want to be um, more important than they really are. And they're afraid that if they have to compete on an even level with black folks, then, and other races, then uh, they won't get their, you know, piece of the pie or something. I really, that's the best explanation I can come up to of why these guys hate black folks so much, man. But I just, re you know, this summer, I actually had a dude who, because of the, because of Trump, this dude pulled a gun on me and a couple other comedians, man, for for really no real reason, except for he hated, you could tell he hated black people. He just pulled a gun? Like, what do you mean? Well, um, the racial climate in the city of Elgin is primarily um, invisible, you know? And so this dude was like a, a hidden racist. And we're, remember, we're at a soul food restaurant, but the soul food restaurant is in a really good neighborhood that's not uh, used to having soul food in it. Let's just say that. And so as we were preparing for the show, we're in the parking lot. This dude drives up with his motorcycle and his girl on the back. And, his, you know, they both got all the, the you know, they got the, the uniform of a racist biker on. He pulls, he walks up, pulls up, walks up to one of the comics and says, because they had a they had a truck like well you know there's these food trucks are very popular in America right now, mm -hmm. so they had a food truck and it, and he says who's that nigga on that truck, and the, and the the guys looked at him like oh he must be joking right and he was not joking he was like no I want to know who the fuck that is you know he started cursing, and this is out of the blue because we're at a comedy environment everybody's having a good time so. Once it got kind of confrontational, everybody looks over there to him. And this guy's girlfriend and him go into the, you know, our motorcycles have a pocket under the seat. They lift up the seat and go grab their guns because they knew that they were, in, you know, in a situation where people were like questioning what the fuck their motive was there. You know, nobody was aggressive to them, but they were just... Uh, just some hateful people and you could see it you could feel it emanating off of them you know what i mean they were they were just racially hateful man and that's that was the norm under trump trump gave those people a boldness that they would just act out you know they would act out do you uh do you think like now that trump's done like uh do you see it kind of healing a little bit or do you think it's like like the damage has kind of been done or what do you think? I think uh, the, the best way to explain it is the, sh the cover has been taken off of the racists, mm. right? So the people who know um, that a person is racist will either not now not interact with them much or they will talk, try to talk them out of being racists which is hard, you know, because they're very cemented in their ways, but that's what's happening now. So most of the racists will go back to their covertness. Most of the people who are friends and close to racists now have a better idea uh, that it's real. And most black folks are where we were before any of that shit started, you know? 
Yeah. I mean, you guys had a chance to see that Floyd, George Floyd situation, right? Yeah. Well, primarily, primarily before George Floyd's video went so viral, there would be conversations where you would say, listen, white person, these cops are really overstepping their boundaries and abusing black people, especially black men. And they would go, no, the police, they don't do that. They only, those guys must have been doing something wrong. They were criminals. You know, they, this, and then of course, some detail of why the cop is stopping this person in any way would happen. And then the people would justify the bad behavior. Well, that video, let people see the bad behavior and there was absolutely no way that you could create an excuse for that. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? So because it went so viral, it became a movement, which there was already small movements bubbling, but it became a bigger movement than the racists can even could fathom. And that I think scared some of them because their complaints became, oh my God, those people are breaking into the stores. Oh, they're looting. They're so terrible. They never really address the fact that the police were actually killing people. And that's how you can let, that's how you can uh, tell who's, who's, who's got serious racial issues. Mm -hmm. It's, it's how they complain. Their complaint never brings humanity to the people that are damaged. It brings value to the things that are broken into based on it. Yeah. Oh, 100%. Uh, that was always uh, my thing too when I like after like George Floyd and all that stuff happened. Like, uh, yeah, it was like one of those things like, are you going to address the problem? Or like right when like uh, there was like a looting happening or anything like that, they just 100% just focused on that shit. And it was just like, now right. that's all this is and it's just right. like come on like it's just like we have like this whole problem that just came open to everybody right. and that's what this like probably the largest movement in almost human history and honestly this is like one of the largest movement movements in human history and uh they just point to that to just like not even even look at it or even talk about it and like i know what you're saying man it must be uh that must be frustrating as hell. <laughs> it must be really frustrating. Uh, yeah, absolutely. My luck is the lucky thing about my life is that I just that comedy gave me the ability to talk to lots of different people of lots of different backgrounds, and uh, I got to move around the globe. So I got to see the humanity from a lot of different sources. Not everybody had that blessing. You know, not everybody's been blessed like that. I mean, you know, just to get off of this North uh, North America continent is a thing where you will be, your eyes will open to the fact that this continent bred in a certain way and then the European continent bred in a certain way over hundreds of years. And you can tell the difference by seeing a person and uh you know their characteristics and then you get into social behavior and the other things so i was lucky i was lucky man i was very lucky um and i worked you know relatively hard to get where i was where i am 
And hey, man, like it does seem like you're kind of bridging that gap between people, and um, that's like honestly, that's like good work, and like it's a, it's something that like does like help that healing i think like over time and it's like a long process to heal like you said some people are open to the conversations but they're never gonna like just flip like with one conversation it's something that happens over time right yeah absolutely and in generations too because you look at like some of the younger kids now that are under 25 you know, they have a different mindset than people that are over 25 and up to about 35. I'm older than 35. So you go 35 to my, you know, my age and older, there's also a different uh, mindset there. As as I get older and as uh, my grandparents were born in 1911, their attitude towards race is way different than these new kids. And I think there it's a better thing, you know, as far as people interacting. You know. Yeah, let's go, so, man. Uh, all so right, bro. Uh, I gotta ask you the question. It's the name of the podcast. So, uh, Aaron Foster, God. That's right. Or nay? Do I believe in God, or do I believe? Do I not believe in God? Is that what you're asking me? Yeah, pretty much. And even like, what your idea of God is, uh, if it's maybe not the original or like the kind of way we all think about it. Right. Well. I've have, I've had some interactions with humanness that have put me in a position to see the world in a, in different eyes. So I grew up with a mother who had schizophrenia. And so I started to understand that people don't see the world the same, yet we're all still walking around in the world the same. So that led me to the sciences and then also to um, quantum physics and other ideas like that. So if you ask me, do I believe that there's a man sitting in the sky and when we die, we go to his feet? I'm going to strongly say, I don't believe that that exists. Mm -hmm. I, I believe... Um, is there a heaven and a hell? I do not believe that exists because it is not logical. It does not fit the narrative of a God. What I do, what I do believe is that from the biggest mountain to the smallest molecule, we are all made up of the, of the energy of whatever this universe is made of. And it's all wrapped around energy, just to keep it simple. I don't know all the lessons. Science says that matter and energy are never destroyed. They just change their existing uh, places. And, and so I think that the universe is in is the replacement of god in our lives so i pray to god but i mean the universe okay and so um one of my favorite examples of how people um of how people's mindsets change when it's to their benefit is my grandfather all through my life was an atheist and i love my grandfather to the nth power but he knew that organized religion was just a con construct of man. 
he called himself an atheist. But one time on his death, uh, before he died, he was in his bed and he was 92 years old. So everything in his body was, was old. Everything on his body was old. 92 years and he was a black man raised in Texas, moved through Alabama to Chicago, worked every day of his life from the year 11 all the way till about really 92, 90 because he would fix shit around the house. I remember he's an atheist. He laying on the bed. His body is weak. Starts to lose bowel continence. Started shit on himself. And you know what he said? He said, oh, God. Which means <laughs> there's something to pray to. Yeah. Whether, it's, whether it's the universe or the God, prayer is real and prayer works. So uh, my answer is yay. All right, my man. All right. Hey, thanks, buddy. Uh, you were an awesome guest. I really appreciate you uh, actually like telling my audience a little bit about like uh, Chicago and the States. And uh, yeah, no, that's uh, really cool to hear. Um, so uh, let people know about uh, anything you want to promote, man. Uh, let the people know where they can get a hold of you right now. Okay, everybody who's um, watching this, man, I'm really an avid businessman in, in my uh, career at this point. I want to come to your town. I want to bring a team of comedians from America. And uh, you can contact me through my website. My email is Aaron, A-A-R-O-N, at cstandup.com, which is S-E-E-S-T-A-N-D-U-P. Dot com. You can see it right behind me. Any company in Canada that's interested in getting your products in front of people in America also contact me because what I do is I put a show together based up and advertise your, your uh, product. Um, now that the internet is big, we're going to start doing a lot more um, videotaping and I would love to be able to arrange it for me to um, help you get your product out there, man. So contact me when you want. When I'm in town, come see me because I am hilarious from what people tell me. <laughs> funny dude, my man. <laughs> yeah, from what they tell me. And the crowd is laughing. So you know, all I can do is go off of the reactions. And uh, look me up, man. That's what's up. And yeah. thank you for your time, man. You know, you're going to have to get on mine. I'm, I got I got my own YouTube recording channel where I do uh, podcasts, basically. It's, it's a video. Um, I don't like to call it a podcast because it's all it's all comics interacting and I guess it's a video podcast you want to call it uh so you and I have to exchange that man we have to you know set up a time where you can do mine hell yeah man uh yeah thanks so much Aaron that was a lot of fun all right that was this week's episode thanks for tuning in everybody I appreciate it please subscribe to the podcast give it a good rating it really does help and also check me out on social media on Instagram and Twitter, it's at NewerKidY. On Facebook, it's NewerKidY Comedian. I'm constantly putting updates about the podcast when new ones come out. I put up podcast clips. And uh, yeah, I also put up comedy stuff, comedy dates, comedy clips, and different stuff like that. So uh, you can come check out, have a laugh, and get keep up to date on the podcast. 
Until next time, this is another episode of God Yay or Nay.